is week two in a a new series that we started this summer entitled One Another. And uh, if you were with us last week, Pastor Aaron did a fantastic job of leading us off with where our position begins in in any relationship with one another uh, as unto Christ in humility, in following Christ in humility and serving one another, putting others' needs before our own. And I loved one thing that he said really stuck with me uh, last Sunday was that humility truly is freedom from pride and arrogance, and kind of keeping that definition in my mind. That's truly what it is. So I'm very thankful for that. This week, though, as we continue looking in God's Word, we're going to look at another aspect of what the gospel, that's the the good news, the message of Jesus Christ, how it informs our relationships with other people. To put it another way, uh, how do we live relationally in light of the gospel reality that we experience in Jesus Christ? And today, that aspect that I want to look at in Romans 15 is what it means to live in harmony with one another, to live in harmony with one another. Now, there's a lot of things that the word harmony could kind of bring up in your mind when you think of that. I don't know why the first thing for me when I heard that word, when I thought about it this week, was it brought back all of these memories of growing up in my parents' house with a brother that's two years younger than I am. Uh, Just so you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot, not a lot of harmony, honestly, in that relationship. There's a lot of relational uh, discord in that house uh, when we were teenagers, especially between the two of us. And I remember the word harmony being used not in a, a peaceful, serene, beautiful tone, but more as a threat from my parents. All right, can we just have a little peace and harmony in this house? All right, what's it going to take to just get along and have a little harmony in this house? And so you know, kind of associate that idea of like, all right, what she really means is like, we just need to like go away from each other and stop doing what we're doing. Right? It's a very like, it's a, it's a passive kind of word in our mind. Like it's it's a ceasing of action, but actually. If we look at what the the musical definition of what harmony is, it's actually a very active word, right? It comes from a a musical standpoint. It's a combination of simultaneously sounded notes to produce chords and chord progressions having a pleasing effect. What is it saying? There's different voices, different instruments, right, contributing to something that individually by themselves is not the same as the collective whole of what it produces, a much pleasing effect. So harmony is actually an active thing. It's an active participation to achieve that Harmony, right? So uh, keeping that in their mind, how does harmony apply to relationships? What do we mean when we say harmony, live in harmony with one another? In terms of relationships, we have an expectation that that means that we are working towards a shared goal, right? Like there's, there's a goal that we're trying to get to, and we're not there yet. But in order to get to that goal, it's going to take effort on both parties to get to that goal, All right? But the problem is, uh, is, even though we may know that up here, and that may be our intention, that doesn't always work out that way, though, does it? Uh, sometimes, most times, there are two individuals right in that relationship, and oftentimes they have very different ideas of what the end goal for that relationship should look like, and certainly sometimes different ways of what it looks like along the way to get to that point, doesn't it? Like we're, not, we're not in sync on that. And it, it brings devastation, it brings pain, it brings hurt into relationships. So it can, and is it possible, though, in light of our human relationships, to experience true harmony with one another. Let's look at Romans 15. We're going to start reading it in this instance in verse number 5. We'll come back to verse number 1. Let's see what God has to say about harmony. All right, verse number 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together, together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Do you hear that? God's word tells me 
that this is possible. All right? That in accord with Jesus Christ, it is possible for me to experience harmony with other people. Harmony in relation. All right? We need a visual of what the gospel means to better understand this. I have some friends that are going to help me with that. All right? So I'm going to have some, some folks here across the stage to help us visualize. I'm a visual learner. And to visualize what does the gospel mean for relationships. I'm going to have my friend Zach here. He's going to represent God the Father, all right? I thought it was fitting since he's the tallest one of the three, so it kind of made sense, all right? So um, Zach's going to represent God the Father. Now, at the beginning, when God created people, made us in his image, special and unique from the rest of creation, to have relationship with him. And it was a close relationship in the Garden of Eden. In fact, the Bible says that God walked with man in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. They, they talked about things. They had a, a relationship like they never had you know, that we've never experienced previous, you know, since this point. Like it's, it's an amazing close relationship they, they enjoyed. Until one day when man decided of his own accord that he was going to bypass what God has said and become God to himself. Right? We call that sin. And so in that instance, he told God, he's like, I like you, God. Uh, I don't like what you've asked me to do. And so I'm going to take a step away from you to do what I want to do. But the problem is in doing so, because God is holy and he cannot entertain sin, he cannot be a part of that. That distance that man created was a distance too far to return to. And it left a gap. It left a gap that I could not cross on my own. And because God is loving, he is just. That means he's fair. And because he's just, he is loving. So he has to address my sin. He says, that sin has separated you from me. But because he's loving, he didn't leave me without hope. And so he introduced, he sent his son, Jesus. So my friend Austin here is going to represent Jesus, who is in relationship with him, the father. Father and son, they have a close unity like no other, a harmony between the two of them. They're on the same page. And Jesus lovingly, in my place, stepped in and paid for the debt that I could not pay for my, own, for my sin with his own life. And in doing so, he invited me into relationship with him. And so now, by proxy of the relationship I have with Jesus, who do I have relationship with? The Father, right? Yeah. I have relationship with God the Father through Jesus. By proxy, why? Because Jesus saw the value in me. He positioned himself as good towards me, invited me into relationship with him. And now because of that, I have relationship with with the Father. That's what the gospel is. When we say that word, that's what we mean. That's why it's good news. I didn't do anything to earn that. Jesus stood in the place that I, that I could not fill to bring me to God. All right? That, that's the message of the Bible. It's the whole history and the story of the Bible is a loving God restoring relationship with wayward people through Jesus. All right? Now, let me ask you this. I have a, a relationship with my friend Micah. All right? We're friends. Okay? I invite her into relationship with me. Who do I bring along with me into this relationship that we have? <laughs> is there ever a situation, if I have a relationship with Jesus, is there ever a situation that I am in a relationship with someone else where Jesus is not a part of that at this point? No. I'm bound to him. He's my link to God the Father. That, that's inseparable. And so every relationship I'm in, I'm connecting someone else to the, my mediator, my stand-in, Jesus Christ, by way of standing in the place, right? I'm, in a way, getting to be like Christ to them, all right? So my position towards them should probably, what, be similar to the way that Christ's position was towards me, should it not? Thank you, guys. You guys did great. Give them a hand. They did a fantastic job. It should be similar, right? I should be able to, to take that harmony 
all right, between God the Father, God the Son, and that I get to experience because of Jesus for me. I should be able to want to share that harmony. I want other people to experience that. I want other people to experience what it's like to be restored to God, all right? But what's the problem? I don't always position myself the same way that Jesus positioned himself to me towards people, do I? That's the catch. And so what does what does a gospel harmony look like? I'm inventing a term this morning. What does gospel harmony look like this morning? I'm going to give you something to chew on as we look through four ways that, that it applies to us today. One thing, gospel harmony is experienced when, in relationship with Christ, I pursue the maximum good in others to the glory of God. All right, gospel harmony, gospel unity you know, is experienced when, in relationship with Christ, right? That's where it starts. That's where I experience it. In relation with Christ, I pursue the maximum good in others to the glory of God. That's very important to finish that way, right? Like the harmony that I experience with Jesus that it mentions in verse 5, together with one another in accord with Jesus, is to the end, in verse 6, of one voice glorifying God the Father. My end goal in position in relationship to the other people is that I might be a conduit, if you will, to introduce them to Jesus so that they may glorify God alongside me and experience that harmony together. That's what, that's what my position is as someone who's been touched by the gospel. So how can I experience harmony, though, in my relationships with people who aren't there yet, all right? who aren't on that page yet, who don't understand that yet? Can, is it possible to experience harmony in my marriage when this person is on a different page than I am, where we fight all the time? Is it possible to experience harmony in my relationship with my children when they're off doing I don't even know what and we don't even talk hardly anymore? Is it possible to experience harmony in my relationship with a contentious neighbor or a coworker? Is that possible? What does that look like this morning? I'm going to position to you this morning that for God's glory and because hopefully you understand that gospel relationship yourself and Jesus, that you are obligated by nature of that relationship, you are obligated to demonstrate that to people that God so graciously puts you into relationship with. It's an obligation. It's a gospel obligation. Not out of guilt, not out of shame, not to make you feel bad because you're not doing it good enough, but because you are in relationship with Jesus. That's why you do it, right? You know, how awkward is it if you go to like a dinner party and you've got like your wife on your arm Maybe I'm the only one that's done this. I doubt it, all right? So you're talking to someone at the party and your wife's standing here and like you go through like a whole 10-minute conversation and you're like, that's a good conversation. You start to walk away and then your wife gives you one of those like death looks. You know where I'm going with this, right? And, like, and I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, you didn't introduce me. And I'm like, you are so right. And she's kind of like, why wouldn't you introduce me? And I'm like, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't really have a good answer for that. You know, I was so focused on what I was doing that I forgot right? This most important relationship to me is right here in my arm. I'm just carrying on like she's not even there. It's like I got her behind my back. And I think that's how we position ourselves in many of our relationships. It's like my relationship with Jesus is awesome, man. The gospel is true for me. Praise God for that. Praise God for what he did for me. But I'm going to keep that relationship right back here because that doesn't really apply in this relationship, right? This we got to work our thing out. I I would position this morning, that's absolutely the wrong way to look at it. Right? That's never going to lead some, po- some, point, some person to the place of experiencing that harmony with God if Jesus is not brought into the relationship. All right? So I want to look at four ways this morning for God's glory that I am obligated to assume my role as mediator 
between Jesus and my neighbor for the sake of God's glory. The first one, gospel harmony, obligates me to bear the burdens of a failure to worship. Gospel harmony obligates me to bear the burdens of a failure to worship. I pulled a classic error there. I gave you the point, and now I'm going to read Scripture. All right, but we're going to go to verse number one. All right, verse number one, this is what God's Word says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to what? Please ourselves. We who are strong have an obligation. I love that he uses that word. It's, a, it's not, a, it's not a, like a gray word there. It's very obvious what he means, right? This is a strong word. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. What does he mean by we who are strong bearing with the failings of the weak? Why, am, why would I be someone who is strong? Well, let's give a little context to this passage. All right, Paul is writing to the Roman church. And just like we do on occasion, at some point in their relationship with Jesus, they got to a place where they began to believe on some small part that they were responsible for the nature of the harmony that they have with God. In other words, they were believing like we're pretty good at this Christian thing, right? We're not living the way that we used to anymore. You know, we're following all the rules. And so somewhere in their minds, they start to become guilty of what we're often guilty of, self-righteousness, right? I have made myself right. With God, and they forgot the beauty of the gospel. And so Paul is writing to correct them. He's like, "Listen, that's not the gospel what you're believing, and it's certainly not the gospel that you're communicating to the friend that you're in relationship with. They're not going to understand. They're not going to believe because that's not the gospel. Right? This, the weakened strength, all that comes down to, is like you're strong because you have relationship with Jesus, or your hope and foundation is in this relationship. That's what makes you strong." What he did is what makes you strong. And so when it says to bear with the burdens of the weak, what is it saying? Like, what are the failings of the weak? You know what they are at, at the core? This is true for, for each of us before we knew Jesus as well. It's a failure of worship. It's a failure to recognize who God is and to respond accordingly to him. Right? Shows up in, in sin, right? Shows up in the consequences of our sin, the pain that we feel for that. Those are the failings, the failure to worship. And when it, say, when it says to bear with the failure to worship, it means I don't assume someone that doesn't have the same understanding and relationship that I have with Jesus is going to arrive at the same conclusions about how they should live and act. It's just true. Let me ask you this. How many of you had the amazing joy of walking with a child through potty training? Raise your hand. All right. Yes. All right. Uh, amazing life experience, you know, for those of us with kids. And uh, a life-changing experience, some might even say, uh, for testing patience. All right. Because you get to that amazing point where you feel like, you know, we're done with the diapers. I'm so glad not to have that line item in my budget anymore. I'm done with that. And we can just go on trips now, and you can go in the bathroom. You don't have to wonder if you packed a diaper bag, and if there were extra diapers in there, we could just go. But then inevitably, something happens, right? You're out for like the first time, and we have an accident. And you're like, have you ever just like looked at your kids and said, what is wrong with you? <laughs> that first time, like, I, I, I cannot believe that you did that. I mean, did we not just talk about how this works, all right? This is the toilet. We don't have the diaper thing anymore, okay? Like, no, what kind of parent would do that? You'd be a terrible parent if that's how you talk to your kids, right? You wouldn't, like, buy a two-wheeled bike and put a toddler on it for the first time without training wheels and send it down the hill and say, good luck. 
why did you fall off, right? Why wouldn't you do that? Because you would not have the expectation. Someone that does not understand would respond the right way. But yet, church, I do think sometimes, because we've gotten so accustomed to this relationship and, and my Jesus, that the version of Jesus that we're showing our, our neighbors and our friends and our spouses is very inconsistent, right? Because the Jesus I'm showing them has a lot of expectations about how they need to get their act together. Instead of the Jesus that came to me in love and in friendship while I was yet a sinner and demonstrated that love towards me. That's what it means to bear with the failings of the weak right there, okay? It, this is a word that's it's popular in our culture, but it's sort of been hijacked uh, to mean something different now. The word tolerance, okay? Back in the day, the good old-fashioned original version of tolerance meant that I intentionally put up with someone who may be different than I am on many different accounts for the sake of the relationship. See what I mean? The difference is I accept the person, it's not like it's used today. Today, tolerance is sort of like a universal validation. You have to agree that everyone is right or there's something wrong with you, okay? We don't, we don't believe that's true. We stand on the truth of God's word. We know there's only one way truth in life, and that's in Jesus Christ. So we can't operate that way. But at the same time, Jesus offers acceptance before he expects the education, right? That's why it's the good news of the gospel. You and I are obligated to bear with, to be patient with, to tolerate the struggles, the lack of understanding of the gospel for the good of the neighbor, to be with them. We do that because that's what Jesus did for us. We do that because we recognize they don't have that DNA yet. And they're not going to have it if I don't demonstrate that compassion. And, that, and I don't, they don't feel that they're accepted by me as a person with worth. I bear with the weaknesses, those failures to worship. What does that look like in reality? It means that I show mercy instead of give judgment. Let me tell you something. Church, we have a bad reputation in the world around us as Christians. Uh, we have been associated not with love, not with mercy, not with showing grace, but giving judgment and giving it as much as possible. That, that's become our banner. And that's not good. All right, because that's not the banner that Jesus you know, flies, right? I give mercy when other people would give judgment. When they expect me to come down hard to them and ask them, what were you thinking? Why would you do something like that? When they expect that, you say, I'm so sorry. How can I help you? What can I do? Mercy for judgment. I offer forgiveness for failure. True forgiveness. Forgiveness, really, you know, true forgiveness is, it doesn't just say, I forgive you, let's try again. It says, I forgive you, and I'm choosing never to bring that thing in front of me again. Now, we can't forgive perfectly like Jesus can. That human nature likes to hang on to things all too much. But a lot of times we offer forgiveness, but at the same time we'll store it back here in our back pocket. And then later, if you bring it back on the table again, oh, I got a bunch more here I can talk about with you didn't truly forgive. What's fundamental about the gospel message is that it's a message of forgiveness. The debt was paid in God's eyes in Jesus standing in that gap. His life from my life. And so as far as he's concerned, why in the world would I ever need to bring that up again? It's paid for. 
Do they see that kind of forgiveness from you? Are you willing to take burdens on you in relationship with other people that are not 